Welcome to the Simple Wedding Podcast. Today's episode is all about reception food. So we're talking about everything from cocktail hour to the reception to late night eats, kind of giving you a little guideline and kind of giving you little nuggets here and there that you may not have thought of. So today I'm joined by Karina from Killig Events. She's located in the GTA and she's a wedding planner. So guys, check out this episode. Let me know what you thought, leave a review and enjoy. Welcome to episode six of the Simple Wedding Podcast. Today we are talking about food, particularly wedding food, obviously, because you guys are listening to the Simple Wedding Podcast. Today I have special guest Karina. Karina, introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Karina. (laughs) Um, I'm from Kalig Events and Design. Uh, We're based in the Toronto area. Awesome. So the reason why I wanted to bring Karina on, she kind of inspired me. She was ha- she had this whole poll of uh, questions she was asking on Instagram. She's asking everybody about food related stuff, and I thought that's that like that's definitely worth talking about because I feel like a lot of people maybe they don't know. Maybe like when it comes to food, food is like when you think about your reception. I would like to think that food is like is a huge part of it. You know, from the cocktail oh, yeah. hour to the reception and then even the after hours food like you know people get hungry and i feel like that will always keep people happy if you always have them fed and you know you have drinks that too we'll talk about that too yeah absolutely i mean food is probably the top in the top three um things that your guests will absolutely remember from your wedding it's definitely up there second to you actually getting married it's the food (laughs) definitely so I want to get right into this. I have quite a few questions for you. I'm going to start with my first three questions, and they're more general. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, when it comes to wedding food, how do you you recommend couples start planning it out? That's a great question. Um, The easiest thing to do and the most practical thing to do is to consider your venue. A lot of your decisions when it comes to your reception starting number one with the food that you're going to serve second the drinks you're going to serve is going to have to do with the venue that you've chosen so for example if you've chosen a venue that has regular food service like a golf club um, a hotel a conference center all of those venues have regular food service to serve their when their regular guests and clients, and they're probably a lot more seasoned with large lifestyle events like weddings. So they're gonna have set menus or like options like A, B, C, and D that you could choose from. And that makes things a lot easier. Sometimes it'll change per season, because generally, I mean, depending on where you are, produce in general, helps form the menu for whatever is available that particular season. So that's kind of the first place you got to start. When you have what we call a blank canvas venue, meaning it's a space where you have to bring in a caterer. Um, So venues like this, for example, are rustic barns, conservation areas, um, galleries, museums, all these places that don't or typically don't have regular food service, you're gonna wanna hire in a caterer. And then that gets a little bit tricky because caterers can obviously cook 
pretty much anything that you want. Some caterers will put together a package for you. Actually, a large, vast majority of them will, depending on your food preference. So that's kind of where you're going to start. And a lot of the times when you're wedding planning, like deciding your venue is going to decide pretty much everything else after that. So that's definitely where you want to start. I definitely appreciate that answer, even the way you just broke it down. Um, I'm learning too here. It's kind of interesting hearing this, even just hearing the whole part about the catering, because I know a lot of a lot of the weddings I've done, especially this year because of COVID, have been a lot of barn style weddings, and I've had some weddings where they don't even they don't even have the per plate thing anymore, like the courses. So they've had like food trucks. Um, the last wedding I went to, they had a food truck, and they were serving like jerk chicken out of it they were serving like poutine out of it like or like a whole bunch of random stuff but they had like these little trays of food and it was like truck style food that you would get like downtown toronto and i'm a i'm a (laughs) sucker for truck like street food like street meat and stuff like that so i thought it was super cool yeah that's kind of really really cute cool actually and like the food truck trend has been like really in since like 2016 it's probably and, and it's definitely here to stay in terms of appropriate. I have yet to experience a wedding where your main courses are coming from a stationary place. But I guess like COVID definitely has thrown a wrench into how we normally do things and the trends and things that we've done in the industry to adapt to that, to adapt to this global pandemic has definitely been creative creative like everybody's coming up with all sorts of creative solutions because at the end of the day yes we are in a pandemic but life can't stop i mean you can't say nah i'm not gonna get married until this pandemic's over could be 10 years from now we don't know right so i mean like the way that the industry has adapted i think it's 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 phenomenal everybody's adapting and and working together and it's actually great actually we had a lot of fun this year even though our activity has been uh, cut in half, like I, I would say split 50-50, our clients have ha- either moved their reception to next year or have just kept their ceremony this year and decided to um, do something bigger on their one year or two year anniversary. Yeah, I've been enjoying, the one thing I've been enjoying about, I know this is totally off topic, but the one thing I've been enjoying about covid weddings has been the intimacy so i know a lot of people oh yeah definitely yeah the intimacy like it's kind of a blessing in disguise for some people because then you don't feel obligated to invite like all 200 people um if you could oh yeah it really is (laughs) it's such a blessing i completely agree food's not cheap guys so if you can invite less people (laughs) and find a way to save on food and liquor that's Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure you tell me if i'm wrong you're the wedding planner but (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, the bulk of what you spend is going to come from that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would say if you're looking at your wedding budget, like, pie-wise, if you think of, like, a, a, pie, a pie graph. I'm going back to elementary school, guys. So if you think of a pie, <laughs> um, a good, like, one-third to half of that pie is going to be dedicated to your venue slash food, depending what type of venue you have. 
Um, so it's a huge, it's a huge chunk of your budget. And I mean, like, um, to your point, Damien, like COVID weddings have been super, super intimate and not only from like a cost perspective, but also from like, um, a family drama perspective as well. Um, and, um, like, cause unfortunately there are always going to be some sort of level of family politics when you are planning a huge lifestyle event, like a wedding, um, especially if your wedding has cultural components in it as well, right? Sometimes that can cause unintentional tension among your family members. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> I think everyone in the industry has seen that or like have felt that. And I think just universally, everyone can kind of understand that sometimes these things can bring out, um, underlining tensions or underlining politics of some sort and the plus to having covid weddings is it's kind of your scapegoat for not following through on inviting certain people or having certain people there for um, particular instances so for example we do a lot of filipino weddings obviously because we're filipino so our our war market tends to be the same cultural part um but there are a lot of traditions in a Filipino wedding where it's considered a place of honor if you're asked to do it. So if you're asked to be a sponsor or asked to light a candle or read a certain type of passage, it's it's considered a position of honor. And sometimes when you're choosing those people to fill those positions, it can cause tension between either yourself and like a parent, for example, is probably the most common that we see or between a parent and like their sibling. So there's always going to be some sort of weird tangled web around it. And the wonderful thing that we've seen about COVID is it's completely obliviated those things. Like they just don't exist anymore. So one of the things that you just said actually transitions perfectly into my next question. Um, are there any, cause we were talking about money. Are there any upsells when it comes to wedding reception food that couples should avoid? Okay, so I know when couples go venue shopping, the venue will try to sell them certain things that don't really make a big difference. So they'll try to sell them like lighting in the back room. And like I had a couple say that they had lights um, on the sides in the venue that they paid like $2,000 for and it didn't really make a huge difference uh, to their wedding reception. So. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes there, there are things like that. Um, I mean, before COVID there, there would always be options to add on either luxury items or you pay something like a corkage fee. Um, so for example, if you, um, do you know what a corkage fee is? No, I don't. Should, should I explain that? Okay. So a corkage fee basically, and, the, and in layman's terms is if a bar doesn't sell a particular or carry a particular liquor and you want to serve it you can buy it but you have to pay the the bar a fee to serve that particular liquor so that's called a corkage fee wow um a lot of it has to do with insurance um it's it's all like bureaucracy stuff um but there are many 
cork fee-ish like things. So for example, we work with a venue or we've had many weddings at a venue that charges you if you bring in an out of out of recommendation DJ. So if you're not one of their preferred vendors for a DJ and they maybe have like one or two, then you have to pay a fee to bring in a DJ of your choice. <clears throat> and some venues will have those types of restrictions. There's always going to be a reason behind something like that. Um, so your best bet is just to ask them, why, why does this fee exist? Sometimes it's because for most of the time it's liability reasons. Um, sometimes in your, to your point, Damien, it can be for aesthetic reasons and they may have that because somewhere along the line, somebody asked for it. You know what I mean? Like these things just don't exist for the sake of existing. Um, that just doesn't make financial sense for a venue to offer those things if, if people weren't asking for it. Okay, so my next question is food related to what are some solid meat alternatives? So I know we live, well, I live in Ottawa now, but I used to be in Toronto and I went to a lot of weddings where uh, Muslim weddings, Hindu weddings, stuff like that, where they don't eat meat, that kind of thing. Uh, what are some solid meat alternatives that pe people can have? I mean, there are, there are tons and tons of meat alternatives, I think. Um, to name the most obvious one, vegetables, guys. <laughs> um, as, as silly as it sounds, there is a lot of flavor that can be packed into vegan, vegan foods. Uh, falafel is a fantastic example of that. That's probably not vegan, but it's, it's like, you know, it's plant-based. Um, also, like, the food industry has come a really long way since then uh, with, like, beyond meat kind of things or, like, uh, plant-based meat alternatives. And we've started to see that uh, reflected at, at different venues. Um, so, so, I mean, like, that's, that's probably one of the ones that are most popular is, like, a beyond meat option. Have you had Mushrooms a lot of... Is a huge have you one. had a lot I, of... I I have. They're delicious. <laughs> um, from a carnivorous perspective, because I love my meat, I am absolutely a carnivore. If I was a dinosaur, I'd be a T-Rex. Um, but um, honestly, like, sometimes I can't tell the difference when I'm served like a Beyond Meat alternative and like a meat. Like now I'll like, I'll go to the burger place and be like, do you have a Beyond Meat burger? Like I buy it at Costco. It's pretty delicious. And I look forward to eating it every single time. If you asked me this like a year ago, I'd, I'd say you're crazy meat all the way. But um, yeah, no, that's it, like the food industry's come such a long way in terms of that. Like it's really delicious. And it's nice to know that that's being offered or at least now starting to be offered at different venues. So I guess like if somebody wanted to do like Beyond Meat, they can do like Beyond Meat sliders or like, like they can almost be yeah. like, like beef, like meat, like almost like little burger things, but they're Beyond Meat instead. I'm sure there are different forms that you could actually form it into. I'm sure there are like steak versions. I know now that there are like, um, like hot dog versions of it. I know that there is like, what's that Spanish one? Chorizo. There's a Beyond Meat chorizo. Um, I haven't tried it, but I'm very interested in trying it. But if, even if we're not thinking about like the new Beyond Meat kind of trend, there are tons of other alternatives. Uh, halloumi, which is a cheese, is often uh, swapped in as a 
quote-unquote meat alternative simply for textural reasons. Um, also, you can pack a bunch of flavor into that. Um, I've had cauliflower steak that legit tastes like steak. Um, there's a smokiness to it. Like, there's an amazing array of different things that can be done to vegetables that, like, even, a like, someone who eats meat, you, like, you don't miss it afterwards. And you feel full and you're satisfied. Awesome. Okay, that was that was really perfect. Those are, I love hearing all these great ideas. That, that was so cool. Um, okay, so we're going to break down the rest of this episode into different parts of the night. So, so I'm going to break this episode down in three different sections. I'm going to break it down by cocktail hour, um, reception, and then late night eats. So the first question will be for cocktail hour. What is three foods that you would recommend for cocktail hour uh, when people are mingling and uh just getting cocktails going um definitely anything wrapped in bacon prosciutto or even a little bit of a pastry um is a big hit um saute skewers always a big hit um recently uh especially because with covid um the trend is now to have your cocktail hour seated so a they just want to limit the amount of people walking around. So your food or your cocktail uh, hors d'oeuvres are served at your table. So uh, artisanal charcuterie boards have been in quite a lot, especially this past season. So that's like your cured meats, your different um, cheeses, crackers, um, breads. There's a lot of spreads and preserves that are that are presented as well. And the response to that has been pretty good. Um, it, it's quite delicious, actually. So anything that can be served that way. Um, little meats usually do really well. What doesn't do well is probably things like sh- soup shooters. That's not great. I mean, like, it's, it's really not. <laughs> Nobody really touches those things. <laughs> Even before COVID, that has something that has been offered um and and different places the reason why like it it doesn't do too too well is because when you think okay so before covid when you could walk around and do stuff usually your cocktail hour everybody's got a drink in your hand and you want to kind of peruse and snack on different things you can't do that if both your hands have drinks or liquid forms of some short sort even though you're supposed to shoot it i mean it's just it can get really messy um and, and, like, accidents can happen. I mean, accidents can happen when anybody's drinking, but, like, to have soup spill on you, like, 10 minutes into cocktail hour is not fun. Typically, you get soup as some part of a part of the first course anyway. And it's, like, I just feel like from experience and personal preference, soup should just be a table thing. And you're never going to hear that one server run back to the kitchen and be like, bam, they need more soup shooters. That's just not a thing. <laughs> we're out of soup shooters. So most of the time it's going to be like, we're out of cheese balls. And that's a good problem to have. <laughs> a lot of times, like things like um, vegetable platters. I know I was just praising veggies before and veggies are fantastic. But uh, vegetable cups are not a big hit either. If you're going to do vegetables or a veggie alternative, think about things like a mini samosa that's gonna knock the socks off everybody but if you were like serving like 
vegetables in a cup with a little bit of dip one that does not look very appealing two it gets it just goes back to the kitchen no one's gonna touch it uh, so if you are gonna do veggies I recommend a platter that way people can grab the veggies that they like and they can take dip uh, of flavors that they actually like as opposed to a default ranch and stuff like that so just throwing in my two cents so I found at during cocktail hour my favorite foods have always been uh like those meat sticks like the skewers so like the chicken on there and when they when it's seasoned it's really really good um also if you do stuff like uh spring rolls spring rolls and then they have the plum sauce um sometimes they have like different little meat things or they'll have like bruschetta with like like a little tomato on it or something like that yeah so i would say those are probably the best ones um cheese I think I said cheese already, but yes, cheese. I will emphasize the cheese. <laughs> cheese, yes, cheese, and especially if they have wine. If if they have wine around, like if a bar is open of some sort and there's wine, that's also a good pairing too. I actually love uh, cocktail hour because a lot of the time as a videographer, I'm always hungry by the time I get to the cocktail hour and I most of the time I wouldn't have had time to actually eat. So when I get to the cocktail hour and they have like, little meat skewers and little things that are like they're small and they're like you can take walk around with them but they're super super filling like that's what i love about cocktail hour exactly well that right there is the whole point of your cocktail hour your the foods that you choose there are strategically placed there to whet your appetite it's to get you hungry um to kind of like wake up your your palate a little bit and wake up your body and be like yo there's food is there more food yes there is more food uh it's common but to your point too when you're shooting and you're a vendor you appreciate anything that is handheld guess who else appreciates that your guests anything that is snack sized um and like i wouldn't recommend really anything fried you really kind of want something baked or um or sauteed or grilled as an appetizer um, because of what it does to your your senses. Um, those kind of like snack size morsels are really, really delicious. And to your point, Damien, it, that's exactly it. It's supposed to tie you over for the next half hour um, before you receive your um, first course. So Karina, this is kind of a broad question, but uh, what foods do you suggest to couples when they're looking at their dinner menu, uh, what um, type of food do you suggest that they go for? This is a very broad question. There's a lot of points that can be um, discussed on this. I think when you're, when you're picking your food, again, once you've kind of decided a venue, um, when you're looking at the either the set menu or the items that are available from your caterer and you're starting to build a, um, your menu, there are things that you need to consider first one your guests you are going to know your guests better than than the venue is a hundred percent so you already know in your family and your friends if people are majority carnivorous if they prefer meats if they are red meat people or if they are white meat people or if they are ocean meat people um, so those things you're kind of already going to know. So it's funny because like when you're sitting down to look at a menu, you kind of already know the answers to what you want. And now you just kind of have to pick from what's available basically. Um, 
I would say like the few things that you would need to keep in mind are those one or two or maybe even five or six, depending on how many people you're inviting to your wedding, anyone who has special dietary needs, uh, whether it be for religious reasons or if they're intolerant of anything. For example, gluten intolerance is pretty, um, pretty common. I wouldn't say I see it at every single wedding. I probably see a vegetarian at most uh, most weddings that I do, I see at least one or two vegetarians. Um, but those are the things you want to keep in mind. And those things you would know about in advance. So the good thing about like planning a menu is you don't really have to decide anything until about two weeks before the wedding in terms of numbers. And you can always change it. 98% of my weddings are all in that same boat exactly that. When you go to a hall, because most people will go to some sort of a hall for it, whether it be a convention hall or like a, um, a special events hall, when you go to those places, they already have food service on a regular basis. So they know what their, what their venue vendors can provide them in terms of produce and food. And then their chefs decide what they can make with that because they're purchasing their food items or their stores and wares based on what is popular or what is um, what that particular chef, whoever the head chef is, has designed their menu to be. So you are going to be given those options will be like there might be like two different types of chicken dishes that you can choose from, maybe three different types of meat dishes that you can choose from, one or two vegetarian dishes, um, and like maybe three or four different fish dishes, whether it be like uh, ocean fish or crustaceans. And, and like they're going to have that set menu. So it kind of makes it a little bit easier on you when you're when you're picking and choosing those kind of things because somebody's already put the thought process into what goes good with what things. It's just, do you like this style of chicken over this style of chicken? Do you like this cut of beef or do you like this cut of beef? And it makes it a little bit easier to decide at that point. Depending on how you like your chicken, so I'm West Indian, so <laughs> I always find it like the stuffed chicken thing is weird for me. I don't know. How is to, it? I don't know. I just can't. Anytime I get stuffed chicken, I always end up taking whatever's in the middle out. <laughs> mm, okay. I, I'm sorry. It's just. No, that's okay. Everybody's allowed to have their preferences for sure. I would say if you're looking for something more. I, like, I always like the beef because they always come with the beef and it always comes with like some sort of gravy. So the the beef I find mm-hmm. is never, never tastes dry to me. Sometimes depending on what venue you're at, sometimes the chicken ends up being on the more dry side. But I guess it depends on your venue. But I guess when you're, I guess when you do a tasting, check that out and see. And depends on how you feel about your chicken. But Oh, always, always do a tasting always don't skip out on your tasting guys even if your venue charges for it it's probably like what like 30 or 50 dollars i mean you're gonna spend that money when you go out for food anyway so don't ever skip out on your tasting for anything for your cake for for your main course at at your dinner um if you're doing treats for your um your late night or your dessert table don't skip your tasting don't ever do it just don't do it it's not a good idea and remember what Karina said, guys. One third of your budget <laughs> is going to be your food. So spend that extra fifty dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Spend that extra fifty bucks. Do your tasting. Make sure your guests are going to be happy. Um, 
and yeah, just make sure that you know you can at least hold the hold the venue accountable that they're going to whatever they're whatever they're providing for you is what you're going to get on the wedding day, so you have an idea of what your guests are going to be eating. And a lot of uh, there's a lot of factors in in terms of like you know to your point, Damien. There sometimes is dry food at at a wedding, um, and so if you've done a tasting, you've tasted the food, and then. At, at your reception, there, it's a little bit drier. Um, there's a number of reasons that could be. One is you probably just were late on your service. Like if you leave, if you've ever worked in the food industry or cooked at home, when you cook a perfect piece of meat and it's rested and it's ready to serve, you need to eat that in the next five minutes or it's just, you know, it's not the same. So now imagine how long a, a food service takes to a, like 250 guests. So if you're one or two minutes late on your, on your, um, your program, so let's say you're started late, your food's starting to dry out. And that's kind of, that's going to contribute to those kind of things. I'm not saying that's the number one reason. I mean, there's a number of variables, but, um, that's probably one of the reasons why, uh, that people don't think of right away. Their, their immediate response is, oh, the food's bad. It's like, nah, we were just 10 minutes late and it dried up on the pass. That's amazing. I didn't even think of that. Like, I didn't even think that would be a possibility, but it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, you definitely yeah. want your food hot. <clears throat> yeah, that's why it's like when it comes to food service, I've learned that timing is absolutely everything. So when you have like a venue that's doing your food prep for you, it's imperative that you run on time and you have somebody to keep your time at your wedding, especially if you have uh, a program and most people have some sort of a program. And here's, and just a side note, guys, this is a pro tip as to why you want a wedding planner because she should <laughs> keep everything in check for you. So absolutely. I would say when we're running our, our weddings with food service, it's probably one of my favorite things because we work very, very closely with the venue. And um, I'm just going to throw this out here. A lot of venues will have an event coordinator. We do not do the same things, my friends. We work very, very well together. Um, so if uh, a, a venue or an event coordinator works for the venue, um, their main job is to make sure your food service goes out on time. So if you're behind in your um, program, that's not their responsibility. Like it doesn't fall into their category um, or their, sorry, their bucket for work. When you're looking at your contract with your venue, 100% there is a time in there for their service. What time cocktail hour is, what time dinner time is. And that's served on the table, like their starting service at that time. So if you don't have anyone to say, hey, we're running 30 minutes behind an hour before, your food is not going to come out nice. Just saying. Thank you for that. Nobody caught that early enough. Major pro tip, guys. Okay, so... I was doing my own research uh, just to understand all this stuff more. So do you recommend family style, buffet, or maybe I'm saying this wrong, per plate style? A seated, seated service or plated service. There we go. Plated service. Uh, What are the pros and cons to each? Oh, man, there's so many pros and there's so many cons. Um, And it's it's one of those that you it's one of those things where there's there's no right or wrong answer here. It's what makes the most sense to you 
and what makes the most sense to your guests. Because at the end of the day, you just want to enjoy a meal. So, I mean, if you prefer family-style meals, like large trays of, like, baked lasagna, of, like, roasted chicken, and it presents well, and it's beautiful, absolutely do family-style. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Buffet is probably going to be your best bang for buck. Probably not the most COVID-safe right now. Um... But in in general, you'll see buffet style be a little bit cheaper. And the reason being is because you're paying per tray as opposed to per person. But if you really do the math, it, it, it can end up being about the same, depending on what you choose, because that can be just as expensive, depending on what you choose. Is family style uh, when the food is in the middle of the correct, table and yes. then you just kind of... So if you have your reception at a restaurant, so let's say if you have an afternoon reception... Um, uh, some things will be served family style and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's a different style of dish. Um, your menu is obviously going to be a little bit different because the cooking style is going to be a little bit different. Um, and, and sometimes for certain meals, it's, it's better to serve it that way. But it also depends on what your purposes are, because I would say family style service is the fastest service there is. Like you're... When you look at, like, plated service, for example, and plated service is probably, like, 90% of the weddings that, or, sorry, a good, like, no, I would even say more than that. I would say almost 100% of my weddings are are plated. Um, and that's, like, the server comes and brings it out to you. And there are different styles of plated service that I can go into a little bit later. But um, plated service takes the longest simply because you only have x amount of servers to bring food out so to serve one course roughly takes about 30 minutes for a room of about 100 actually yeah so if you have like 100 to 250 guests um one course will take approximately 30 to 40 minutes to serve so some people can be finished their food before another table even gets theirs so that's just something to keep in mind it is the most popular form of service, though, because, like, you really do feel pampered and the plating's always uh, absolutely immaculate. Um, but with family style, let's say you have 30 tables, um, that that uh, service time is going to be, like, 15 minutes to drop food at every table. It's not going to take long. So I guess it all uh, it all depends on how you want to run your run your reception i would say for the people who are very focused on like getting to the dancing quick i think maybe family style might be if you can if you can do it that way if you're i guess if you're having like a more like a barn wedding type thing you can tell me if yeah. i'm wrong i'm just thinking i'm just thinking off on the fly maybe well but. i mean yeah i mean you're not wrong there uh i would say there aren't a lot of places that offer family style um it's definitely more of a restaurant-y kind of feel. It's a little bit more unique to restaurants um, simply because they have the means to do it. And usually when you're doing family style, you're not doing it for like 150 people. You're doing it for like 50 to 75. Like it's a small wedding kind of thing. It's definitely not like a, a typical 250 person wedding. Okay. Definitely not. Got you. Um, if you end up choosing that way. A lot of venues that I, I've worked with don't even offer this style at all. It's either buffet or plated. I would say if you're like 
piecing together your um, your wedding and you're doing it like super low budget. In, and I'm not saying that to put shame on super low budget because I feel like that would be me. But um, if you're doing it like they're a very, very intimate wedding where there's like maybe 30 to 40 people and you only have about five tables, it doesn't really make sense to, at least in my head, it doesn't really make sense to plate each individual one, although you could, when you cook in a large tin, you could plate that nicely. And it'll be almost like a Christmas dinner or a Thanksgiving dinner. This is a lot more intimate when you have people passing food around. Again, not the most COVID safe, and it's not a super popular option. I'm just saying that it could be done, and there are elegant ways that it could be done for a wedding. Okay, and I'm sorry, earlier I cut you off, and I think you were about to start talking about buffet, and then I totally cut you off. No, that's okay. We can go back to it. Buffets. (laughs) Um, Buffets are definitely more of a you're paying up per tray kind of thing. Like you want 10 trays of this or, um, you know, four trays of that, right, kind of thing. And sometimes like different venues will will have quote unquote set meals where you get like three trays of this, eight trays of this and that kind of thing. Or you choose what you like. Um, and tell them how many guests and they adjust accordingly because venues are really good and caterers as well are very, very good at adjusting accordingly. Um, and they usually uh, give a few servings extra because you always have that one person who wants more. So, I mean, buffets are really great. Uh, again, not the most COVID safe. Um, they also can be quite long in terms of time for service. Um and, and I say that because you're going to be calling up tables to go and serve themselves, basically, or have a service stand behind a, a buffet station and hand it to them. It just takes really long for everybody to kind of get up and go through that line, get their food, and then sit down, and then get up again if they want seconds. Um, but if you're looking at time, I would say they can be about equal buffet or plated. Yeah, I guess depending on when you're listening to this episode, certain things will apply, certain things won't. But yeah, thinking back to all the weddings I've done where it's buffet. um, It takes a while. Yeah, it does take a while for people because people have to line up and all that stuff and then (laughs) sit down and then, yeah. Mm -hmm. And people get distracted too when when you get up for buffet. Uh, Definitely people get distracted. And then you get always like, there's always one or two tables that are impatient and they're just waiting for their number to be called so they can go eat. (laughs) Whereas like plated service, I mean like typically service starts from the outer outer edges and and works their way in. Uh, Granted, they definitely do like the tables of honor. So like the, um, the head table usually gets served first, always. And then from there, it's like they usually work their way from the outside in. So it can be pretty, pretty quick. But roughly it takes about, I I usually a lot about 30 minutes for each service. Maybe a little bit more for the main course because there's a lot more food on the plate. If there is a family that predominantly is not vegan, what do you suggest as far as meat options? Uh, Well, I mean, if absolutely nobody in your family has any dietary restrictions or prefers that kind of thing, then yeah, go ahead and pick meat. But you probably want to pick different types of meat. 
Um, so for example, if you are given the option to offer either two alternatives, you can either choose a chicken or beef, which is probably the most popular, um, or you could have some sort of fish or crustacean seafood. Lobster is really good. I've seen venues that do surf and turf. Um, I've seen venues that do like a scallop and a, like a chicken of some sort on it, like their version of surf and turf. Uh, so sometimes you'll get more than one meat on a plate and there's nothing wrong with that I mean like when it comes to food guys you just want to enjoy it like don't overthink it it's like what do you enjoy eating okay go with that all right so the next part of our conversation is going to be about late night eats so that's after the reception when everyone starts dancing and then you know the lobby or the I guess like where the cocktail hour was before kind of opens up as a late night eat so there's a lot of different types of food there you got like poutine and like sliders and all types of like almost like late night eats if you were to go out to a bar and then you need that greasy food afterwards this is where you get that food so we're going to start with that late night <laughs> street eats are always popular at the end of the night poutine uh sliders hot dogs, anything you can get out of a truck, golden. You're golden at that point. Um, and like when you really look at it, um, the whole point of a late night eat is to sober you up enough that you don't have a hangover the following day. So that's why they're always so greasy. And honestly, that's super important because I mean like, you know, you want your you want your guests to, to arrive home early and you know, that kind of just, put some peace of mind if people are eating food like that then you know you're less likely to have any any problems any issues as far as far as people getting home that kind of thing think about it this way like when you're out dancing expending energy drinking alcohol um your body naturally needs something to to hang on to that and help break that down so what is that it's greasy food that's why like if you're out partying and whatnot you always end up at mcdonald's at three in the morning yeah that's that's why so anything like late night is usually something like heavy it's usually carb heavy there's a little bit of meat in it um it's 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 got grease and like substance to it and like if it's a sweets table it's either like super sugary or um you know, something something that goes well with your coffee and tea service. So there's usually like, you know, little tarts, cupcakes. Of course, there's cake. Well, I hope there's cake because cake. <laughs> and I love sweets. So I love candy, that kind of thing. So I love when they have a sweets table. So if you're one of my brides and you have a sweets table, that's like 10 stars for you. And also fruit. Sometimes they have fruit. That's kind of different, but I love fruit too. Fruit. Fruit's great. Uh, fruit with like any like some sort of like a chocolate fondue or even a cheese fondue is fantastic. Um, that's usually really tasty. Um, everyone enjoys it because like it's just like a kind of like an an an, uh, an assault on your senses and your body just kind of breaks it down in different ways because there's so much activity. You're you're at a heightened point. Uh, emotionally and mentally as well that you just kind of like you're just in a state of let me just enjoy and I don't care what I look like and like I feel like I, I might have like you know dramatized that up a little bit that might be a little dramatic but that's really what it is I mean it's just a point in the night where you're just having fun everything else like the day is over and you can finally unwind and you don't have to look prim and proper because the photos are done <laughs> 
Photos are done, videos are done, nobody cares, let's just party. Is there any food, just to keep tradition from like uh, when we started, uh, is there any food for late night eats that you wouldn't recommend? I wouldn't recommend anything that requires you to eat with a utensil. I mean, you're obviously gonna need like a fork if you're eating a poutine, but a lot of the times like it's served in like a really fun like takeout cup and you have like a little, uh, like a little toothpicky thing or a prawned uh, steak thing that you can eat it with. But it like, I would not serve something like soup as a late night. No, get out. I would not. Soup shooters, <laughs> yay, soup shooters. I can't, I can't get used to the whole soup shooter thing. I can't believe like that's We're even just a thing. Like, I think, can we all agree that soup really just belongs as an appetizer? Just leave it there. It's chill. Soup's a great opener for, uh, for, for uh, your first course simply because it really opens opens your palate in a similar way that like cocktail hour kind of prepares your body to think oh, hey I want food now Appetize, uh, appetizers are meant to like prep your body to eat more so things like salad and soups really go well as a first course because it accomplishes that exact purpose there's like a food science to all of this. Some whoever designed the way that courses work, they did it for a reason. <laughs> so when you're like at the end of the night, I mean, you, you don't want to eat anything that like, and the same reason why uh, you would serve a slider as opposed to a full burger, right? You want quick bites, quick, easy, digestible bites that you can eat uh, without having to sit down. I mean, absolutely, you can sit down. I mean, like, most girls are going to take a kick off their heels, sit down and eat, and then hit the dance floor. Please do not eat on the dance floor. That's just a hazard waiting to happen. Um, also, it's just not nice. <laughs> um, but generally, like, people are kind of, like, moving around. You don't usually see people at their tables around this time. Um, they're either leaving and, like, eating it on the way to the car or eating it and drinking by the bar or on the edge of the dance floor somewhere just out of their seats. So when you're picking things for your late night, you want to think of things that are easy to eat without having to sit down. So I wouldn't serve like, I wouldn't serve fried chicken. I would serve popcorn chicken. I would not serve fried chicken. Just to kind of put that in perspective in a way. Honestly, I agree with that because fried chicken can be very like liquidy, greasy, that kind of thing. Popcorn chicken's more it's less greasy, like less, you're not gonna have like oil dripping from it, that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it'd be less of a mess. If you had like fried chicken, depending on how you serve your fried chicken, if it's like saucy, that kind of thing, that's where you run into an issue of being like kind of messy. Um, a lot of napkins everywhere, more garbage, that kind of thing, so. So one thing, one question I wanted to ask you is, uh, how do you feel about wine with dinner? So what I've noticed is that they always have like three, like four bottles of wine on the table, but then, um, just from personal experience, what I've noticed is sometimes um, people will drink, like they'll start drinking the wine and by the time that time comes, some of them are drunk. And then if those people have to do speeches, um, then it kind of affects that part of the night. It slows things down a bit. So I wanted to hear like your two cents on it just to see like from your perspective how you felt about it. I definitely can see it kind of going those two ways. And I feel like those are like two opposite ends of the spectrum because I... I d personally, I don't mind wine with dinner because think of it this way. Wine is like dinner rolls on the table. You don't have to eat it, but it's there if you want it. Right? That's kind of how I view it on a personal level. And that's kind of like really the intent behind it. It's really nice if you have, if you have, um, 
like let's say you have the choice between a chicken or a meat or a fish and you get to decide whether or not you want white or red wine at the table and it's not uncommon for there to be a pitcher of water uh, a pitcher of uh, carbonated water and then either a bottle of wine, one bottle of wine, or two bottles of wine on the table. And it's always going to be a red or a white. It's always going to be different options. Again, it's an invitation. It's not mandatory for you to partake. So with that being said, you're going to know your guests better than anybody else, really. So if you know that there are, your, your group of people are the rowdy, let's party now kind of people, you probably want to refrain from doing that. And I have seen... Um, services also where they close the bar during food service and only have the wine on the table because, um, you would have to drink several bottles of wine to get real like tipsy. You know what I mean? Like I, my tolerance is like absolutely zero and I still have to drink like maybe like a full 12 ounces of wine before I can really feel it. And it's kind of like one of those things that like slow burn. I mean, granted, Everybody reacts to alcohol very, very differently. Um, and like that person's going to know their body more better than anybody else, really. But um, I've seen it where like those options are on the table and the bar is closed. So the bar is only really open during cocktail and after dessert service or your coffee and tea service. And that's when it will reopen. And then they just have the drinks on the table. And that's perfectly fine. It really depends on your preference and, uh, well, number one, what the venue can can or cannot do for you. Uh, if you're paying for it, I would say, don't feel pressured to put wine or an alcoholic beverage on the table. At bare minimum, water. Just put water. If you're if you're building your menu, I would say. <clears throat> Yeah. And I mean, like I've been to weddings too, where, um, when, when the guests are being seated, they've gone around and poured like, uh, like a, th maybe a three ounce, uh, bit of champagne in a champagne glass. And that's because it's a toasting glass. So when the couple comes in and they toast, you have something to toast with. That's not necessarily your cocktail drink because most of the time you've finished your cocktail drink by the time you're seated. All right, so this one's kind of random, but I also wanted to ask you this question as well. Do you have any tips for any couples that are trying to do um, a signature drink signature drink um, for the bar? Um, that's 100% going to be what do you like? You know, I've had couples do uh, like, I, I guess, I think the story behind it is they went to like a bartending thing for her bachelorette. And they came up with a cocktail that all of a sudden everybody really liked. And they served it at the wedding as her signature drink. Right? And there's nothing wrong with a signature drink. I think it's really cute. Um, just be mindful that not everyone enjoys or has the same palate as you do. Uh, so I wouldn't make that the only thing available during cocktail hour. For example, we did, we, we did a wedding this past summer where during cocktail hour, the bride's signature drink was like a chilled, like alcoholic icy drink. And it was blue and it was cute. And they swirled like, um, I think some sort of like cherry, 
syrup through it. So it was visually appear- appealing. Um, and it was, it was nice because it was so hot that day. So it was a really nice um, treat, frozen treat during cocktail hour. It was very refreshing. So a lot of people ended up partaking in it. Um, so if you're thinking about, if you're thinking ahead to something like that, and this just happened to be an outdoor wedding where she considered all of those things, you know, she considered the time and place of her wedding, um, and something that she really enjoyed and found a very creative way to marry the two where it just made sense to do it. Right. Whereas the groom's, uh, version of his signature was, uh, was a samurai shot. Uh, <laughs> That was really fun. Although this was during COVID time, so we couldn't have a lot of people at the bar banging a table to try and drop a shot of sake into beer, (laughs) into a bowl of beer, because that's a samurai shot. All right, so my next question is, when is a good time to open and close the bar? The reason I asked this question is because I know sometimes throughout the night you have um you have situations where people are up and you don't want them up certain times you want them sitting down certain times and sometimes they have the bar open there's a lot of people floating around or it's just a lot of noise when there shouldn't be so when is a good time to have the bar open when is it a good time to have it closed yeah no definitely before before your service when guests are coming in uh that's the best time to have the bar open because it's usually one of the first things people look forward to Um, And obviously after the dinner service is over. So that being um, at the end of your dessert service is probably a good time to reopen the bar Um, because uh, people are seated and they probably want to get up and walk around. Now, if you're talking in between, like during your reception, if you have a program where there are speeches or videos or anything like that, you probably don't want to have the bar open during those times because all of your efforts into directing attention to whoever's speaking or whoever created or the video that has been created, which someone put time into, time and effort into, if the bar is open, it's a huge distraction. And then what happens is, especially like, and you have to consider your venue layout as well. Uh, If your bar is out in the hall, then you're going to have a large portion of your guests not even see or hear the speech or the video or whatever it is that's playing. So you probably want to close the bar during dinner service for those reasons. I had this pro tip in a, in a previous podcast episode is have an engagement video played like before you enter uh, into your reception have a video or a slideshow of some sort play before you actually enter. I mean, if you do something like this, then um, it kind of draws everybody's attention and creates some anticipation before you enter. And then once you enter, it's like, whoa, that kind of thing. So yeah. And when we like, when you do have like a session on um, like building your, your program, there are definitely, and you'll appreciate this because you're a filmmaker. um, You, One, you can't control anybody's emotions, but you can engineer moments where you can direct them into feeling or seeing or experiencing things in an intentional way. And the same concepts can be applied to how you structure your program. And that's very important because otherwise, if you throw, like, for example, nobody's going to listen if you throw six, six speeches back to back to back to back to back. 
nobody's gonna listen they'll listen to the first one and then i feel sorry for the last person like no one's gonna listen you need to break that up in strategic ways right because the human attention span isn't that big people's attention span truly is not that great these days and honestly there is an art to planning your wedding or your wedding reception like it, it's it drastically um there's an art to planning your wedding reception so from how you spread out the food throughout the night to um if you listen to my previous podcast episode about planning a reception how you plan everything will dictate whether people thought your wedding was uh kind of slow paced kind of boring or if it was like perfect and the night was great and quick and that's that's part of probably why like when you hear a lot of people complain about oh that wedding was boring there were so many speeches it probably just wasn't structured all that well i'm sorry no offense to to anyone right and and like sometimes you just can't help it um because you might have like five or six relatives that you weren't able to say no to right? But there are fun, creative ways that you can break those things up where you can ride and engineer the lulls and the energy in the room. And that's the whole point of the program, right? You want to make sure you're picking and choosing times. So when you're, and that's why food service is so important because you need to know what time those things are being served. So you know where to place things. It's almost like the backbone or the skeleton to what your program should be is gonna be our food service. All right, so Karina, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Aww, thank you for dropping so <laughs> all these little nuggets and knowledge. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would have benefited from hearing it. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's such a, you know, such a, I love supporting like uh, local vendors. I mean, you're not so local anymore. You're so far away, but um, I look forward to any chance that we get to work together. So uh, yeah, if you have any questions or you want to talk things out or you just have like general concerns and now I'm going to go into full business mode and pitch. If you want to talk about weddings and planning your weddings, hit us up, Kalig Events Design. <laughs> Oh, do you want to drop uh, your Instagram from so they know where to find you? Sure. Our Instagram is at Kalig is K-I-L-I-G and then events, E-V-E-N-T-S. Design is D-E-S-I-G-N. All right. So Karina, thank you again for coming on and we will definitely, definitely do this again sometime because I'm sure... Uh, we can talk about other topics. So I'll definitely have you on sometime soon. Yes, I hope so. It was my pleasure. Thanks everyone for tuning in. All right, guys. So thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I hope you got some good knowledge from it. I want to thank Karina for taking the time to join us. And we will definitely have her on sometime soon again. Um, if you guys want more resources as to planning, writing, that kind of thing, you can check check out our blog it's in the show notes below and if you guys want to be super nice leave a review um, on spotify or apple Podcasts or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts uh, it really helps us out gets our name out there and will help other brides find us as well so take care guys and we'll check you on the next episode of the simple wedding podcast